everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It was exactly, exactly what the world of golf needed. A great story on a weekend after a week of nonsense and bickering, and the world of golf got it. Matthew Fitzpatrick wins the U.S. Open. It was on the same course where he won the U.S. Amateur years earlier. How funny is that? Only the second golfer to ever accomplish that feat, winning the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Open on the same course. The other one, someone you may have heard of, Jack Nicklaus, was the other golfer to accomplish this feat. The Englishman has himself a final round to remember, including a fairway bunker shot that will go down in lore as he is crowned the U.S. Open champion and only the second Englishman, and I do believe the last 50 years, to accomplish the feat. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, RP3. Of course, I'm joined here inside the studio on this beautiful Monday, June the 20th morning. By the producer extraordinaire, she's got her bells on, she's happy, she's giddy, she can't wait to get started today. And of course, the intern extraordinaire, Daryl. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Only two guests, Kevin Price, our old friend from the PGA Tour digital content team. He's an associate editor. He was there in person outside of Boston, Massachusetts for the U.S. Open, covering it for the PGA Tour's website. He'll be joining us at straight up 8 o'clock to recap what an amazing weekend it was. And that course was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. Saturday and Sunday, you guys, you saw more than a handful of golfers throw their clubs or try to smash their cubs over their knee. Yeah, yeah, that was the type of U.S. Open we've all come to know and love. So Kevin Price will be joining us at 8 o'clock to recap the U.S. Open. At 8.30, the Big Easy Blitz will feature our friend Rod Walker, the award-winning columnist reporter for the New Orleans Advocate slash Times-Picayune. He'll join us to give his thoughts on Saints minicamp. And where does the team go now from here? Going to have about six weeks off, I guess, before training camp begins. And then it'll be go time. So we've got two great guests for you. Kevin Price from the PGA Tour at 8 o'clock. Rod Walker from the New Orleans Advocate slash Times-Picayune at 8.30. Which means we have plenty of time for your phone calls. Game hotline is open as always. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And we're going to get to more of what happened over the weekend at the U.S. Open, coming up in about a half hour from right now. But it was a busy weekend in addition to the U.S. Open going on there outside of Boston. 
He had College World Series start this weekend and a bit of, of surprise. A few surprises, if you will. And I just want to point out something. Just want to point out something. We had three guests on last week that covered teams that made it to the College World Series. We had the Ole Miss beat reporter, Nick Suss. We had the Arkansas beat reporter, Christina Long. And we had James Heffler, a co-host of the Locked On Sooners podcast. Did all three win? Did all three teams win? They sure did. Is that the RP3 and company bump? It may be. It may be. Kept getting told over and over again, Texas Longhorns. Man, they're a contender. Hook'em horns. And I said I didn't think this was a vintage Texas team. Said it throughout the years. Said it during the regional round. That's why I liked Louisiana Tech's chances to pull off an upset. They didn't. And Texas was able to make its way to the College World Series. Who's the first team eliminated from the College World Series? Those Texas Longhorns. And they had to be eliminated at the hands of their old conference in-state rival, Texas A&M, yesterday. <laughs> so Texas is out. Longhorns are gone. 0 for 2 at the College World Series. They're sent packing back home to Austin. A&M beats them in an elimination game. A&M, a team that won fairly easily, going 5-0 and in regional, super regional play to advance to Omaha for the College World Series. Uh, they found themselves in a lot of trouble right off the bat. Guess what, Tech? Uh, guess what? Because, wait for it, Oklahoma's legit. The hottest team in the bracket that went through the Big 12 tournament, went through the regional round, went through the super regional round. Here they are. They take out A&M on day number one. Done. That was simple. And they made it look easy, too, didn't they? They just made it look easy. That was like, eh, okay. That wasn't that hard. I mean, they set the tone... Boomer Sooner did by taking out the Aggies in the very first game of the College World Series weekend. Then Notre Dame followed that up on Friday saying, hey, Texas, what's up? Nice to see you. Here's an L. Bye-bye. And then the SEC flavor just kept rolling right along. Because Saturday came the next two games, and Arkansas crushed Stanford. Stanford, who was your number two national seed, another one of the betting line favorites. Texas was one. Stanford was the other. Arkansas just puts on an absolute clinic against the team whose mascot is a tree. And said, bye. So... In the first two days of the College World Series, 
Texas A&M, Texas, and Stanford, your three betting line favorites, all get thrown into the elimination bracket or what we used to call the loser's bracket. <laughs> Just, there you go. Then Ole Miss, the last team to get into the field for the college baseball regional round, right? They were the last team. A lot of folks thought Ole Miss didn't deserve to get in. They were on the bubble with a few other teams, Alabama, Kentucky, some others, but it ended up being Ole Miss was the final team selected, got the final spot. And what did the Rebels do? They went through the regional round, took out Miami in the Corals Gables regional, beat Arizona in the championship game in that regional, then went to Hattiesburg. Southern Miss hosted its first super regional ever. Ole Miss said, that's adorable. We're going to blank you 15 to nothing in two games. And then Ole Miss has to take on Auburn, who went to Corvallis Super Regional, win that to get in. That's no small feat, by the way. And then Ole Miss edges Auburn. So the team that was the last team to get in, the team that was nearly going to fire its skipper at the end of the season, they're, they're in the winner's bracket. <laughs> that was just the first two days. Yesterday, AM crushes Texas, eliminates the Longhorns. They're the first team out. AM survives for now because they're in that side of the bracket where you're going to have to continue to win in advance. Oklahoma then turns around and beats Notre Dame in a winner's bracket game last night. So Boomer Sooner sitting pretty at 2 0 in the College World Series. You have another winner's game tonight between Arkansas and Ole Miss. And you'll have an elimination game today as well between Auburn and Stanford. That's game number one coming up this afternoon around 1 o'clock. So it's exactly how we all thought it was going to go down, right? (laughs) I do want to point out, once again, Just saying, we had three people on last week that covered teams that haven't lost yet. Just saying. Just saying. Now, someone will have to lose sooner than later. But Arkansas looked really good. Ole Miss looked gutty. Oklahoma has that team of destiny feel to them, don't they? They kind of... They kind of do. They kind of feel that way. And you're like, uh, could they go on a magical run here? But what a weekend it was in Omaha. Great moment as well. You know, Peyton Manning was there in the stands. They had some fun at his expense. Didn't refer to him as like an NFL quarterback. <laughs> Said something like, Said something. What did they say? Said, said something like, you know, commercial spokesman or something like that. They had a good, good laugh at his expense. But two teams 
facing off tonight, uh, tonight, both from the same division, just like it was on Friday. So Ole Miss gets to face another team from the SEC West tonight in the winner's bracket game. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. What an amazing weekend. I'm getting the old school trucker signal to blow the horn from the producer, which if you're watching on the simulcast, why wouldn't you be? On Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. When I was a kid, you would do this. You'd pull your arm down like this to get the 18-wheeler drivers to blow their horn, which was a great thing. The producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, just did it. I guess this is our new way of saying hitting the timeout. Yes. She's talking to herself, mumbling. That's going to be a good start to the week. I'm there saying let's go because now I'm just pulling for our alum, George Faust, and his all-miss team. So it's let's go, let's go. But I, but I didn't know that. I didn't have that information. I didn't think you could read my lips, apparently. Then that's, that's <laughs> it made me think when I was a kid, trying to get the 18-wheel yeah. truck, truck drivers to blow their horn. They don't do that anymore, by the way. we got to take a timeout. More College World Series talk. We'll take your phone calls as well. Game hotlines open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You listen to RP3 and company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, it's the game's birthday, and this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey this Wednesday. There's going to be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, including station swag. I'm talking t-shirts. I'm talking koozies. Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV donated by AVI, car washes from the wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, a round of golf with a cart at Cane Row Golf Course, a $150 gift card to Mosley and Hollard Men's Clothing, and so much more. In addition, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. So come join us at B-Dubs this Wednesday starting at 4 o'clock in the afternoon for the game's 10th birthday bash. Talking U.S. Open. Matt Fitzpatrick is your winner. We'll dive deeper into that coming up in about 10 minutes from right now. Also, busy weekend because College World Series began up in Omaha. By the way, Peyton Manning was wearing an Omaha hat while watching a game in Omaha. Of course, he was famous for saying Omaha all the time during audibles, which was a nice moment. But it was a busy weekend. College World Series was rolling right along. So were the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. 
Colorado Avalanche crushed the faces of the Tampa Bay Lightning. They scored seven goals in a game. Seven. Seven. You know how hard it is to score a one goal in a hockey game? The Avalanche scored seven. They're up two games to none on the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs. Can the Lightning come back? Now, look, they came back two games to none against the Rangers in win, won the Eastern Conference Finals. They have all the experience of winning the Cup not once but twice. But how demoralizing is it getting crushed 7 to nothing? Game 3 will be tonight, by the way, Stanley Cup Finals. So Stanley Cup Finals were going on over the weekend. The U.S. Open from outside of Boston was going on. But it was also College World Series weekend, opening weekend for the College World Series. One of your big contenders already eliminated. Texas Longhorns go 0 for 2. On the opening weekend, they've been sent packing. It all began. The, the tone was set for what the weekend was going to entail right off the bat. Oklahoma, the hottest team in the bracket, a team that moved its way through the Big 12 tournament, then through the regional and super regional as a road team. They began the College World Series with a convincing win over Texas A&M. That was followed up on Friday night by Notre Dame beating Texas. So the Texas two-step, loser's bracket. Saturday, it continues. Arkansas crushes the face of the highest-ranked national seed left in the field. That's Stanford. They're the two-seed. Arkansas opened up a can of you-know-what on them. Stanford, title contender, betting line favorite, into the loser's bracket or is what they call the elimination bracket. Don't call it loser's bracket anymore. And then Ole Miss edges Auburn on Saturday. Ole Miss in the driver's seat. Ole Miss is going to face off against Arkansas in a winner's bracket game tonight there in Omaha. Stanford-Auburn will face off in an elimination game this afternoon. You could have Texas and Stanford eliminated by Monday night of the first weekend of the College World Series. I told you last week, this thing's wide open. Wide open. There's not that much of a difference between the upper echelon teams and these teams that got hot. Just isn't. And that's what's being proven to be accurate as I'll get out. And of the teams that I liked out of the SEC, I liked Ole Miss the most. And I like to Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame has to be an elimination game because they lost last night against Oklahoma. But Boomer Sooner is just... They feel like a team of destiny, don't they? They sure do. Because Oklahoma beats Notre Dame last night. They're 2-0 and now in the winner's bracket. And Texas A&M staves off elimination by crushing Texas. But, man, it gets harder in that loser's bracket because there's no room for error. You can't slip up and have another chance. Once you get dropped into that bracket, but <laughs> it's win or go home. So we're going to find out a lot about Texas A&M. We're going to find out a lot about Stanford and Auburn today and tomorrow. That leads us to our poll question of the day. 
What was the biggest surprise of the weekend? It was a busy weekend. Was it Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open? Was it the Avalanche scoring seven goals in a game? Was it the Longhorns being eliminated or was it other? That's our poll question of the day. And right now, leading the vote, 50% of the vote goes to the Avalanche scoring seven goals in a Stanley Cup Finals game. That was game two against the two-time defending champs, the Tampa Bay Lightning. 30% of you say Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open and 10% apiece for the Longhorns being eliminated and 10% for other. Let's get to some comments. Ton on Twitter says, I just got into hockey recently. It's a lot of fun, but rarely do teams score seven goals in a game. That was a fun game to watch unless you're a Lightning fan. Yeah, it wasn't too fun if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. JPK, the OD, says the Longhorns of the new Notre Dame. They're the Dallas Cowboys of the college world. Always overhyped, overrated, and underachieving. With a gif of a cowgirl saying, I just want to see you fail. I just want to watch you fail. Justin Roban says, go Avs, go. Well, Colorado Avalanche fan here in Louisiana. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise of the weekend? Was it the Avalanche scoring seven goals in a game against the two-time defending Stanley Cup final champions? Was it Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open? Becoming only the second golfer to win the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Open at the same course. The other being Jack Nicholas. That's pretty good company, I would have to say. Was it Texas, one of the betting line favorites, being eliminated early? The first team to be eliminated from the College World Series, or was it other? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout today's show. But right now, we got to take a timeout. Don't worry. You'll be brief. When we return, we're going to talk U.S. Open. What a weekend it was. What a brutal course it was. <laughs> and what a great story for Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open. The young Englishman. My man still got braces on his teeth. That's how young he is. Just saying. His dad looked my age. Made me feel old as old get out yesterday. But, great weekend of golf. We'll recap it coming up next. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Sign up right now for The Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to win excellent prizes. Everything from concert tickets to sporting events. Also, you get to win free stuff like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. Mouth-watering steaks cooked to perfection. You can also win yourself a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Fresh Gulf Seafood Dinners. Hello. Or... 
$25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also down at Cypress Bayou. They have these humongous cheese sticks. Like, you normally get, like, cheese sticks, and you're like, hey, let me get some fried cheese. And the folks at Mabel's are like, nah, uh Boom, we're going to take it up another level. But you can only win that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse or that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or the $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen by becoming a member of our clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. No more excuses. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise of the weekend? Was it Fitzpatrick winning the United States Open? Was it the Colorado Avalanche scoring seven goals in a game? Was it the Texas Longhorns getting hooked early, going 0 for 2 at the College World Series? Or was it other? Or was it other? U.S. Open. Let's go there. I I told you last week that if I had to choose one event to go to in the world of golf, that I would choose to go to the Open Championship at St. Andrews, which that's exactly where it's playing this year. If you had to say, hey, RP3, you only can go to one. That's the one I would go to. Second on my list for golf would be the U.S. Open. And yes, I haven't even got to Augusta yet. I love the Masters. Don't get me wrong. But if I get to choose, the Open Championship at St. Andrews would be tops on that list, and then I would go to a U.S. Open. And I'd choose the U.S. Open over Augusta, and not because I don't love the history of Augusta. Don't. It's not because I don't wouldn't love to go see a Masters one day. It has nothing to do with that. I love watching the U.S. Open because the USGA says, I'm going to make things as miserable as possible for the golfers. And you saw it over and over again this past weekend. How many times did we watch these guys? (laughs) First of all, there was rough in the second level rough and the third level of rough. It was brutal. Brutal. You saw so many guys get so... You had one guy after missing his shot just threw his club into the into the rough some more. It was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. The U.S. Open makes the world's best golfers mortal. Makes them feel like when you watch them play, you're like, hey, they experience the same thing I do. That's what the USGA does when they design the U.S. Open courses. They transform an existing course. Now, the existing course usually is a challenging course to begin with. But then they take it and make it U.S. Open. Difficult. That's a whole nother level. And the course there, the Country Club at Brookline outside of Boston, Massachusetts, is an older course. It's hosted the U.S. Open now, I do believe, four or five times. So you have, you know, gray rocks coming out of the ground, like boulders. (laughs) And tall grass. This was not a nice place to play a round of golf. And a lot of guys found that out over the weekend. A lot of guys that were contenders, if you will, found themselves fading. You did have have some low scores. Colin Marikawa carded the best score of the day on Sunday. He had a surprising low score. But for most guys, 
it was above par. Your defending champ, John Rom, shot one over for the tournament because he shot like he shot like three over on Sunday. He was in the next last group. He didn't even finish in the top ten. This is what the U.S. Open does. Hey, because the final day, the last group are your leaders. The next the next group is the ones right behind them. John Rom was in the next the last group and finished outside the top ten. It's a brutal, brutal tournament. And they do so, and they pride themselves on having the winner shoot five under or six under max. Think about that for a second. There's four rounds, which essentially means that the best golfer only shot two under each day. That's it. That's it. The U.S. Open prides itself on being like an even par tournament. They actually get happy when their winner is at even par. Now, 17 played extremely easy, especially over the weekend. There was a lot of birdie opportunities on hole 17 that was uh, enabled some low scores over the weekend. And I sat there in my chair because it was Father's Day and I was allowed to watch whatever I wanted to watch. Even my daughter signed off on it. So I got to watch the final round of the U.S. Open in its entirety. And you just watched it and you went, whoa. You saw these other guys. And Fitzpatrick had moments where uh, he, he looked like he was floundering. He looked like he was giving away the U.S. Open. But he was steady enough, especially on the back nine. Shoots a 68 for the day. Finishes the tournament six under. One stroke ahead of Scotty Shuffler, your Masters champion. Of course, Scotty has his man on the bag is from Opelousas. So we have a bit of a local connection there. But Scotty Scheffler, the world's number one golfer, ranked golfer. And rightfully so. I think Scotty proved to everyone that he wasn't, that he's a legit number one golfer in the world. You know, you finish one stroke, you finished as the runner-up at another major. You got what it takes. Will Zarahoas, he gets to finish his runner-up. He has a putt there on 18, which looked like it was going in. And that was going to force a playoff, and he just misses just by a quarter of an inch. You just see him. He just drops to his knees and puts his club above him, misses out again, finishes his runner-up again at another major. But Hideki Matsuzama shot a 65. That was the low round of the day. That catapulted him all the way up to fourth. Colin Morikawa shot a 66. He had a very good day. But for Morikawa, he shot a 77 on Saturday. Yeah, that was it. A lot of these guys played themselves out of contention based on what they did on Saturday. Roy McIlroy, including, shot a 73. Now, he showed some moments on the back nine, was able to get up all the way tied for fifth. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. And credit Fitzpatrick because he made a amazing, phenomenal shot. He's got a one-stroke lead. Lead. Scheffler gets in. He's now tied. He's at five under. So Fitzpatrick knows he has to at least par this hole 
to avoid a playoff and hope that his playing partner will doesn't birdie. And he goes and he hits his tee shot into the fairway bunker. The last hole, he hits his tee shot into the bunker. And not only does his ball land in the bunker, the bunker has rough inside of it. So not only is it sand, there's a little island of grass in the middle of it. And his ball's in between. He hits a beautiful recovery shot. An absolutely phenomenal recovery shot to get it on the dance floor. To get it on the green. It was an amazing... He won the tournament right there. He could have lost the tournament right there. If he screws that up, he loses the tournament. That's how much pressure was on the young man from England. And it was unbelievable. And Matt Fitzpatrick talked about his 18th hole bunker shot. I'll be brutally honest. You know, me and Billy spent a couple times, well, quite a while talking about the 18th tee shot undecided. I hit three wood today into the bunker. And if there was one shot that I've struggled with this year that I would just do not want, it's a fairway bunker shot. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I guess sort of ability just took over. And um, yeah, it's one of the best shots of it all. I mean, that's the type of shot that goes down in in lore. He won the U.S. Open on that shot. Won the U.S. Open. It's ridiculous. It was also a great story, because not only did he win the U.S. Open on the same course that he won the U.S. Amateur years ago, and that's only happened one time before, and that was Jack Nicklaus, who accomplished the feat at Pebble Beach years ago. So that's a great historic moment. It's also a great moment because of who was on his bag. Billy Foster. Well-regarded caddy. Well-respected. Been a caddy for 40 years. Never been on the bag for a guy who won a major. Never. Came close. Came close. Never was able to win a major. And you saw the great moment after Will misses his birdie putt that lets Fitzpatrick win the U.S. Open, and the caddy just hangs his head and puts his hands on his head, realizing that he finally caddied someone to a major championship victory for the first time in his career in more than 40 years. And Fitzpatrick comes over and puts his arm around him and pats him and talks to him and says, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, it's a great moment. And Fitzpatrick talked about how much did having Billy on the bag play a role in his win yesterday. You know, massive. He uh, he was so calm the whole day, I, and I know how much it means to, to him. You know, I know it, it means even more to him probably than me, given he's been around so long. Yeah, I know he said to yourself he's got he had a big monkey on his back, and and I know he did. And I, I know it it was eating away at him, and to get it done for myself, but for him as well, is uh, is is great. And there was a bit of thing while you're watching it. You know, his family was there. His family stayed right off the course. They all stayed together. They had the great picture of, you know, his brother was there, his mom and his dad, and they all took a picture when he won the U.S. Amateur, and his brother was on his on, on the bag, and his brother was there. And his brother went crazy, of course, when his, when, when his sibling won the U.S. Open, and, you know, all of, all of his family was there. Rory McIlroy even came up to him, gave him a big hug, congratulated him, you know, for, for winning the U.S. Open, and... You know, it felt very much like 
hey, he was going to join Jack Nicholas in same course. Very felt 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 like it was meant to be, so to speak. And and Fitzpatrick spoke on that as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll be. I never wanted to say it, but it, it did. You know, it just felt it felt like it was always meant to be. I feel like I've had so many close shaves this week, uh, this year. I played so well, so many times, and and just just come up shy. And I don't know where it was recently. But I played well at USPJ, and Billy was like, "Just stick in. Your time will come." And and last week, same deal. I played really well. Nothing happened, and uh, he said, "Just you know, just just wait. You know, it's 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 going to happen." And for it to happen here, it just felt right. And I'm gonna say this. Fitzpatrick becomes the second Englishman in 50 years to win the U.S. Open. It doesn't happen often. It's America's championship for a reason. But second one to do so, absolutely phenomenal. I saw a thing, though. Rory McIlroy, you know, had an opportunity, finishes tied for fifth. Someone tweeted this out and said, Roy McIlroy just made history as the first golfer to ever hit the same merchandise tent from two different holes in the same round. That's the U.S. Open. The greatest golfers on the face of the planet do things where you go, that's something I would do. That's something I would do. But a great moment. Fitzpatrick wins the U.S. Open. Just absolutely phenomenal. And Scotty Scheffler... Finishes his runner-up, but you know what? I think he proved to a lot of people there were still some doubters out there whether or not he was the world's number one ranked golfer, deserved to be the world's number one ranked golfer, and I think he proved everyone wrong there that he deserves to be ranked number one in the world. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynold, to the show. Reynold, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Good morning, good morning. It's not 100 degrees yet. Hallelujah. Not, not yet, bud. <laughs> it'll get there so, just wait well let, let me play dev, devil's advocate for a little bit and just bear with oh me. this man wants to play I, devil's advocate on a monday morning all right what you got you know i'm a golfer and i'm i'm not a scratch golfer I, I shoot in the high 80s high 90s and you know a golfer most novice golfers would probably shoot what about a 200 on that course oh god yeah or, or and, just give up and start drinking. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, tell, I tell my wife, I love whenever pro golfers struggle, when they have to kind of rethink things and kind of try new things. But is it just me, or is it the, the U.S. Open, their courses are getting so stupidly hard that it's almost like, okay, not the now, I wanted Fitzgerald to win, but is it more to where he survived? Or to where, I mean, I know he made some good shots. But it's getting to a point where is the last one surviving. Because yesterday, the top score was four. Today, yes, or uh, Saturday, uh, yesterday was six. I mean, the, the scores do not change. And they purposely do that to make it so hard. I mean, I'm driving down the road right now and looking at the ditches that are overgrown from rain in South Louisiana, and that was the fringe around the greens yeah. that they were trying yeah. to chip out. Yeah, of. and those greens and, were lightning fast, man. Like you had oh, – literally there's like maybe a five-foot area that you could land the ball without it rolling oh, yeah. off the side. And plus they were turtle bath or they were or they were so much in a steep decline. And, you know, I've seen someone try, trying to putt from 10 yards out, and they got – they only made it five five feet. 
because the incline was, was so, you know, so bad. So I, I don't know. I'm just thinking, is it getting to where it's so damn hard <clears throat> that that is just someone surviving and not really winning? It's a good point. I'll bring it up after the timeout. Reynolds, appreciate the phone call, brother. Right. Thank you. Enjoy your Thanks. day, bud. We got to take a timeout. I'll talk about what Reynolds just brought up because, you know, it has become notoriously immensely difficult year after year. Has it gotten too hard? We'll address that coming up next. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Is the U.S. Open too hard? And it's the third year in a row that the winner is six under par. Bryson DeChambeau shot six under at Wingfoot in 2020. John Rahm shot six under at Torrey Pines last year. And, of course, Matt Fitzpatrick shoots six under in Bro- at Brookline. But before then, we've had a couple – we had two U.S. Opens in a three-year span – that were double-digit under par. Brooks Kepka in 2017 won at Aaron Hills up in Wisconsin at 16 under par. That's like a PGA Championship score. And then two years later, Gary Woodland won at Pebble Beach at 13 under par. So you're looking at, you know, three straight years of six under, which is challenging. But a 13-under and a 16-under par winners there. Now, Kepka won back-to-back, if you remember, 17 and 18. He wins at 17 up in Aaron Hills in Wisconsin, but then turns around and wins at uh, Shinnecock Hills in New York at plus one. Shot 281 for the tournament. So he was over par, and that won the U.S. Open. You go back even a little bit further, 2012-2013, Webb Simpson and Justin Rose won it back-to-back years there at the Olympic Club and at the American Go- uh, Marion Golf Club at one over par as well. But look at 2011, Rory McIlroy won the U.S. Open at Congressional at 16 under par. So there has been some occasions where the course has played easy. I think mainly that's done to weather conditions, but I also think the USGA tried to lighten it up a few years because they were got tired of the criticism, but they don't care right now. But it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Our number two has arrived here on RP3 and Company. We're kicking off the week in style. We got the intern extraordinaire, Daryl, in the house. Or not right now, he's left. I'm sure he'll be back. The producer extraordinaire, 
Hannah, five names. Of course, the big, bald, and beautiful one, yours truly. Spent hour number one recapping the weekend that was. Matthew Fitzpatrick, or Matt to his friends, his inner circle, wins the U.S. Open six under par. Third straight year, the winner of the U.S. Open shoots a six under par. He becomes the first male golfer to win the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Open at the same course. The only other person to accomplish the feat, Jack Nicholas. That's pretty good company there for the Englishman. He also becomes the second Englishman to win the event in the past 50 years, the other one being Justin Rose, who won in 2013 there in Pennsylvania when he shot one over par. And I say Englishman. I don't say Britain. Just to be just to be, you know, clear there. Graham McDowell and Roy McElroy won back to back US Opens in 2010, 2011. They're from Northern Ireland. They're part of the United Kingdom. They're not English. Just so we're everyone's on the same page. Sometimes that gets confusing. Geography's hard for some. Second Englishman to win the US Open. In addition, it was an amazing weekend for the College World Series, which started there in Omaha on Friday. Oklahoma, the hottest team going since Texas A&M to the loser's bracket right off the bat. Then Notre Dame does the same to Texas. So two of your top-seeded teams get shipped to the elimination bracket right off the bat. Auburn edges Ole Miss. I mean, I'm sorry. Ole Miss edges Auburn on Saturday. Arkansas crushes Stanford, sends them to the elimination bracket. Then Texas A&M beats up on Texas. Longhorns become the first team eliminated from the College World Series. Oklahoma then takes out Notre Dame last night, sends Notre Dame down to an elimination round. Oklahoma sitting pretty at 2-0. Boomer Sooner. Ole Miss will take on their second SEC West team in three days. (laughs) When when they face off against Arkansas tonight. An elimination game will be this afternoon as well as Auburn and Stanford get after it there in Omaha. Just some food for thought on what it means when you lose your first game. Only one of the last 10 College World Series champions lost in game one. That was 2018 Oregon State. In the entire 21st century, only three champs have lost game one. So in other words, not great for Texas A&M. I just like to throw that out there. Not great for Texas A&M as the Aggies began with the loss. Now, They eliminated their old rival, Texas, which is great. But, and watch out for Oklahoma, guys. I'm just, look, Oklahoma has scored eight runs or more in five of eight NCAA tournament games. They now won 10 of 12. Think about that for a minute. Then they won last night. So now they've won 11 of 13 
11 of 13. Sooners, there's no team that's hotter. And they are the most dangerous team by far in the College World Series. U.S. Open, College World Series, of course. The Stanley Cup Finals are going on. And the Tampa Bay Lightning find themselves down two games to none. The Avalanche decided to crush their faces. Seven goals? Seven. Now, Kevin Foote would tell you, hey, Tampa Bay Lightning fan, don't distress. Don't stress out. The Avalanche scored too many goals. This is hockey. They scored too many goals. So now the Lightning can rally, and Tampa Bay has already shown they're the two-time Stanley Cup champs that they can do so as they came back down two games to none against the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's time for the Lightning to get back to work. It starts tonight, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. Right now, though, it's time for us to head out to the hotline. Welcome on Jamie to the show. Jamie, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Mr. Third. I'm doing better than Matthew McConaughey after the uh, betting favorites got knocked out. He is not all right, all right, all right. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. And neither are Longhorn fans. I, 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 I said, I said, I said this was not a vintage Texas thing. I, I, I said it. You watched them play. They lost against Texas State. They lost against some other teams in the middle of the season. And I know it's a long season, but you watch how they lost those games and you go, eh, this is not a vintage, you know, Augie, Texas Longhorns team back in the day that this is different. They're different. And look, getting to the College World Series, being one of eight teams to do so, Jamie, great accomplishment, great accomplishment. But at Texas, the expectations are to win College World Series games and win the College World Series. So bit of a yeah, disappointment. I threw my hat in with Arkansas. I mean, my mom's family is from Arkansas. She raised me to be a Razorback fan. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going with Omaha. Sorry, I missed five names, but I'm hoping they smash the faces in of Ole Miss. I know that's who you're pulling for tonight. Uh, but, hey, at least it's not the uh, Bulldogs of Russin. Um, and us Lightning fans, we're not too worried yet. But uh, if we lose tonight, you might as well go ahead and give the cup to the Avs because I don't see us uh, coming back from a 3-0 deficit. So, uh, but I did want to ask you this. Um, I have a question for you too, Jamie. Who 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 would you like to go first, you or I? I'll let you go first. Why has this been such a, a, a mismatch the first two games between the Avalanche and the Lightning? What is it about that the Avs do so well? that's kind of caught your Tampa Bay Lightning off off guard a bit? I think the Lightning were a little bit unexpected, uh, not quite expecting the Avs to just be as good as they are. They have a lot of talent that uh, they haven't really had to face all year. The Lightning haven't had to face all year. Uh, and they're talented up and down from first shift to fourth shift. I mean, I mean, their defenders are even scoring goals. And it's, it's tough to defend when even – the defenders are coming up and saying, yeah, I'm just going to skate on in and, and, you know, get a wrist shot off and, and score a goal here and there. And, you know, so I think there's been a, a talent level. And let, let's be honest, the Lightning were, they haven't had home ice advantage all all playoffs because they were a low seed. So, I mean, the fact that they're even in the finals is, is an accomplishment considering they weren't even supposed to get out of the first round. So, uh, but yeah, I think there's definitely a talent level disparity there. 
Who's going to be the X factor tonight for your Lightning to get Game Three and get back into the series? It's got to be Braden Point getting back. He uh, he came back after a month of lower lower body injury, so uh, it's going to be him getting back into the swing of things and and kind of getting back on the ice and and, and meshing with the other guys. It, you know, it, it's it's kind of like any other sport. If you're missing a key component and he comes back there's some adjustments that got to be made. Guys got to get used to playing with him again and whatnot. It'd be kind of like if Zion had come back in like the playoffs, all of a sudden the Pels would have had to have adjusted to the big guy being back, you know? That's true, bud. All right. I cheated. I asked you two questions. Now you can ask yours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My my question is this, and uh, I know you said uh, 2018 was the last time a team uh, lost their first game. Uh, and came back and won the entire thing for the College World no, Series. No, no, no. Lost, lost game one. Game one. Usually game one in particular, specifically. Yeah. yeah. So when was the last time a team came out of the loser's back bracket to win the whole thing? Not necessarily game one, but the loser's bracket in general. Because it seems to me, doesn't that happen a little more often? Or maybe I'm maybe I'm No, it, it does feel that way. You know what I'm going to do, Jamie? I'm going to answer that question because I'm going to have my research – and uh, development team here, uh, producer extraordinaire Hannah Five names and intern extraordinaire Daryl, who are over there and they're, they're going through it, finding out the last time someone came out of the losers bracket to win the College World Series. Last time a team came out of the losers bracket to win the College World Series, and as soon as we find that out, and my my crackpot team is going to share that, Jamie. Thank you, bud, for the phone call. <laughs> Your crackpot team, I like that. Y'all, y'all have a great day. <laughs> have a great day, brother. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they're gonna find that find that out. Boom, they're gonna be right on top of that for me as always. No pressure. It's not as if a grade is hangs in the balance there, Daryl. Um. So, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you, bud. Sorry. Our, our intern is is doing great work. No, it does feel like it's a little bit more difficult to go there. Like it, it, you always want to win the first game. It just puts you in, in such a great advantage when you get to Omaha. It's not to say that you can't go through the losers bracket, but the problem of going through the losers bracket is that you're going to be facing equally as desperate teams that are equally as desperate as you, as your team. So, you know, that's the problem is that they have nothing left to lose. They, they, they're they going to pull out all the stops just to be able to win the game. There's no strategy involved. There's no, okay, well, you know, we're going to give this pitcher some rest, so we're only going to throw so-and-so or so-and-so. No, th- this isn't a regional, super regional. This is the College World Series, and if you don't survive, you're going to be sent home. You're going to be with the Texas Longhorns, Longhorns singing at home watching the College World Series. I am surprised how quickly they were eliminated. I knew Notre Dame was going to be a tough out. But I thought Texas I thought Texas would at least respond and they they did not. But that's why I, I told you last week this college world series feels to be absolutely wide open. Any one of those 8 teams could win it. And I still feel the same way this morning, this Monday. I feel like any of the seven teams left can win it. Any of them. Even Stanford and Auburn, who are playing an elimination game today. 
I like Ole Miss. And it sure does feel like, to me, the winner of the Arkansas-Ole Miss game tonight could be your team to win the whole thing. Could be the team that's going to win the whole thing. Because Arkansas and Ole Miss both, look, they both had early exits from the SEC tournament. And they both were preseason, I do believe, top 10 teams. By the way, Texas was number one ranked preseason team in the country. And Arkansas and Ole Miss had lofty expectations put upon them for this season. And they they failed to meet them. They struggled. They did. And Arkansas may have even cost them ch- uh, themselves a chance to host a regional by going 0 for 2. They, I do believe, the first team to be uh, eliminated through the double elimination portion at the SEC tournament in Hoover. Ole Miss didn't even get to that point. Ole Miss sneaks in as the last team into the college baseball bracket. And both them and Arkansas have to go win on the road. And that wasn't an issue for either one. They both are playing with the chip on their shoulder. They're both playing to their potential their preseason potential finally. Whew, I'm telling you, tonight's Arkansas Ole Miss winner could win the whole thing. Could very well win the whole thing. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll hopefully have an answer to Jamie's question. I got my people on it. Look. I call them extraordinaire. Will they be extraordinary to find out the answer to Jamie's question? I'm being told no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, intern has come up with the answer. Oh, we'll get to it next. After this timeout, you're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 20th, 1980. Panamanian boxer Roberto Duran takes the WBC welterweight title from Sugar Ray Leonard at Olympic Stadium in Montreal by unanimous points decision. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, Rescue Fest is this Saturday at Park International. It's a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo Band, Jet 7, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. There's going to be plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana. It's a group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. They're a great organization that helps out families in need, and you can help out the organization by buying tickets to Rescue Fest. To buy those tickets, go to Eventbrite or simply visit rescuegroup.org. That's rescue, R-E-S-C-Y-O-U, group.org. Once again, Rescue Fest is this Saturday at Park International. Shout out to the intern extraordinaire living up to his name, Daryl. 
for finding out the answer to the question that was presented to us by Jamie. So, Texas A&M lost its first game. And the last team to win, to lose game one of the College World Series to win the whole thing was Oregon State. They are ironically the last team to win the national championship out of the loser's bracket. They lost 8-6 to six to North Carolina back in 2018. Were able to make a run after that to win the whole thing. Only 12 teams have won the College World Series coming out of the loser's bracket. So that tells you how much of an advantage it is not to be dropped down into the loser's bracket. LSU include, is included in that list. They won the 1998 championship after losing to USC 12-10 to in the opener then went on to win the College World Series title. So it's only happened a dozen times in College World Series history that a team has won the whole kit and caboodle coming out of the loser's bracket there in Omaha. So shout out to the intern, Daryl, for stepping up in a big way. Let's head out to the hotlines. Welcome on, Doug. Doug, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? How was your weekend? Man, it was great, Ray. I mean, it was some great baseball this weekend. I watched every single game. Uh, and that's what I was calling uh, to let you know that, yeah, it was Oregon State in 2018. My uh, my Google fingers pretty fast this morning. Google fingers. So Doug was quick on the Google fingers. Daryl was quick on the Google fingers. Yeah, he beat me. Not by much. Not by much, brother. Not by much. Not by much. <laughs> No, but Ray, you're right. I mean, look, Oklahoma really looks good. I, I, I was, uh, I was amazed. And Texas to fall, and Texas has the best baseball player in the country, and uh, Ivan Mendez, uh, projected to be in the first round, if not the first pick in the first round. So, but this, but, Texas, but this is what you love about college baseball, right? The best team in the country didn't even make it to Omaha and Tennessee. And then the team with the best player in the College World Series or the best player in the country gets eliminated after two games, it, right? And this yep. is what makes the College World Series so special. And they struck him out twice. And they, I mean, look, Ooh, that, I know. It was filthy. That, that Oklahoma pitcher was just something else. I believe his name is Horton. He was something else, Ray. I, I mean, what's the difference between a slider and a breaking ball, Ray? What's the difference between those two pitches? I don't see any. But I tell you, this pitcher uh, from Oklahoma, man, he was throwing slider after slider, and he was striking players out left and right. I mean, it was amazing to watch this. But, look, Oklahoma, uh, who else Who else could possibly be there at the end? Arkansas sure does seem like they could be. Yeah, Arkansas looks good. And Ole Miss, I, I'm with you, Ray. I mean, Ole Miss, I, I thought Stanford would would make some noise, but whew, the number two team, the number one and the number two team both knocked out. It's crazy, it's Stan- and Stanford's going to have to. You got to love baseball, Ray. You got to love it's baseball, so brother. Different. It's so much different than football, don't you believe? Oh, man. I, got, it's, I mean, we know if Alabama's going into a game with Merce, I mean, we know what's going to happen there. But you could have two teams like that in baseball match up and the complete opposite happen. I mean, the, the, the best team gets knocked out. You just never know in baseball. I know, brother. I know, brother. Bat, one overthrow to second base or something, it just changes the whole game. 
But I love it, man. I'm glad we still have some more games this week. Same here, uh, brother. Enjoy enjoy the games. Enjoy your rest of the day, brother. Appreciate the phone call. And appreciate you making Hannah Five Names, producer extraordinaire, laugh. She's mad at me right now. She won't talk to me. Um, hey, Ray, I, I, I canned blackberries all day yesterday, Ray. I got y'all's blackberries ready. That's my man. There it is. Thank I'll you, drop Doug. them off first chance I get, Ray. There you go, bud. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Ray. There you go. Doug's got blackberries for us. I, I do enjoy a good blackberry. Some blackberry jam. Now we're talking. Doug asked the difference between a slider and a breaking ball. Look, a slider is just a breaking ball. It's a type of breaking ball pitch. It's just one that kind of tails down into the in the hitter's zone. That's all it does. It just tails downward. It's just a breaking ball pitch that tails downward in the hitter's zone. Keep those phone calls coming. We'd love to hear from you. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Want to talk College World Series? We'll do it. You want to talk U.S. Open? Yeah, buddy. Or you want to talk Houston Astros? Actually, we're going to talk a little Houston Astros next. It didn't look the prettiest over the weekend. Verlander got roughed up, which has been a rare sight this season. But in spite of that, the Houston Astros were able to take two of three from the Chicago White Sox. We'll break that down next and take your phone calls. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game's birthday bash is almost here. It's going to be Wednesday. And this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at B-Dubs. That's Buffalo Wild Wings for those who don't know Kevin Foote. On Ambassador Caffrey this Wednesday, there's going to be delicious wings and amazing door prizes. Now, I'm not talking about just cheap door prizes. I'm talking about great door prizes station swag t-shirts koozies tickets to houston astros games a 50-inch television donated by avi car washes from the wash donated by service chevrolet a gift card from partners limited and a round of golf with a cart at Kane Row Golf Course, plus a $150 gift card rather to Mosley Hollard and men's clothing plus much more in addition to the great wings and door prizes Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. So come join us this Wednesday at Buffalo Wild Wings from 4 to 9 o'clock for the game's 10th birthday bash. I'll be there. I'll be making an appearance. Obviously, James, Mesh, Matt Miguez will be there. Kevin Foote will be making an appearance. Uncle Jordy 
is scheduled to appear. The intern extraordinaire, Daryl, will be there. Unfortunately, Hannah can't show up. That's unfortunate for her. And But you can be there. That'd be great. Thank you so much. That'd be great. Come on out. Have a great time with us all. Love to hear from you. Hotline's open. You just have to get through the surly woman on the other end of the line. Game hotline's 337-706-0111. We're having a good time this morning. We're having a good time. Five names and I, we like to go verbal jabs, if, if you will. It's a nice little back and forth. Back and forth. You should have known it was going to be, I knew she was sassy right off the bat because literally her first day on the job as an intern, she grabs a microphone and tells Lewis, I'm coming for your job. And poor Lewis was not prepared for this. We all know Lewis, sweet Lou, sweet Lewis, now in Houston, represent H-Town. And he was just like, he was, he didn't know what to say. He was like, what? Sure enough, here's Hannah, five names. Soon to be Hannah, six names. Running the show, if you will, for RP3 and company and footnotes. Running the show. Let's take a moment to talk a little Houston Astros baseball, shall we? They take two or three from Chicago over the weekend. It was an interesting weekend because... It starts off with that 13-3 win on Friday night where they just crush the White Sox. And that, of course, is the type of game that Kevin hates. Our buddy Footsie. Now, the good thing about that game was that Yuli Gurriel and Alex Bregman, who have been struggling mightily, both homered and combined to reach base seven times. So it was a nice baby step for them to get back on track because... Both Yuli and Alex have struggled mightily this season. They just have. They have not played up to their potential. They have not played well. So they get the win, and they do so based on a humongous sixth inning where they score 10 runs on eight hits, draw two walks, got one hit by uh, one batter hit by a pitch, and they hit a grand slam. So they had an epic sixth inning, destroyed Chicago right off the bat, 13-3. Uh, to And then they did what they typically do this season, in particular this season, where the next day they are bad. After they roll up an opponent, after they curb stomp a foe, the next day they sleepwalk through a game. And that's exactly what happened on Saturday as they were shut out at home by the White Sox 7-0. Verlander was not good. He was not good. Went just three and two-thirds innings. It's his second shortest start of of his career with the Astros, by the way. The second shortest of his time with the Houston Astros. He gave up nine hits, seven runs, four of them earned because the Astros struggled with actually fielding the ball, including Jose Altuve. His shortest outing was against the fighting five nameses, back in 2018 on August the 9th when he lasted only two innings in his shortest start in a Houston uniform. So, go off big in the first game of the series. Massive inning, sixth inning. Next day, Verlander gets roughed up. They get shut out. And on top of it, 
Jordan Alvarez suffered a minor injury on his final swing in the seventh inning and was being evaluated. So, not ideal. Because Jordan Alvarez is a legitimate MVP candidate. But then came yesterday, and they were able to gut out a 4-3 victory to take 2-3 in the series. And, And once again, the Astros are not playing their best baseball. They're just not. We, we said it last week before the weekend, what, they were 7-6 and six in June? So now they're 9-7. and seven. Yet they still hold a comfortable lead. They're 41-25 and 25 overall. And they've been able to get over the 40-win threshold, even despite not playing their best baseball, despite having Alex Bregman and Yuli Gurriel struggle mightily. And Jose Arquiti, one of their starting pitchers, being unpredictable. But they had a big hero yesterday, the rookie. And I'm going to butcher the young man's name. I'm just going to call him JJ, and we're just going to move ahead. It's just the best way to do that. <laughs> he, he's got a Matavich, Matajovic, Matajovic, something like that. But the rookie homered for his first major league hit. And uh, Dubon added a two-run shot to power the Astros to a 4-3 win over the Chicago White Sox on Sunday night. That's a good bounce-back win after being shut out at home on Saturday. Christian Javier, he gets the win. He improves to 4-3. Good confidence booster for him. He needed it. He really did. He pitched a solid five innings, only gave up the one run on two hits, did walk four, so eh, eh, still not great, but he struck out five. He gets the win. Ryan Presley comes in as Dusty Baker goes bullpen the rest of the way and is able to get the save his 13th of the season as the Strohs get the win. Altuve gets a hit. Brantley gets a hit. Bregman got himself a hit yesterday as well. One for four. That average, though, still around 218. He also struck out twice, though. Bregg is just not. It just feels like when you watch Alex Bregman, it feels like he's injured to me. That, that That's what it feels like. It feels like when you watch him play, it's more than just a slump. It feels like something's wrong. Because he's too good of a hitter to be struggling this way. And he's striking out on bad pitches, too. He does get a hit, but he also strikes out twice. Yuli goes 0 for 4. Once again, Bregman's batting 218. Yuli's batting 222. Not great. But the youngster, JJ, goes 1 for 4 with the solo home run. That ends up being the difference maker in this ball game as he's able to get the home run and help the Strohs win four to three. Now Houston will be off tonight. They're going to welcome in the New York Mets on a weird two game set starting Tuesday and Wednesday. So Tuesday night game, and then they'll turn around and they'll play a Wednesday afternoon game. But JJ, the Rook, he got to be the hero yesterday and his dad was in attendance and he got to give the home run ball to his pop. Well, he was going to give the home run ball back to his pop, who was back home 
cheering him on. He talked about how he knows his dad was so proud of him back home watching. Uh, I can't imagine. Just I just hope that you know that he's proud of me, and that's all that really matters to me, you know. And uh, I know he is, and I just hope, and I know he's smiling back home. And uh, unfortunately, he couldn't be here, but hey, I know he's watching, and I know he's smiling. His first big league hit. Now imagine this. Just 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 imagine this for a second. You get called up to the show. Somebody gets banged up. You you get called up. Your first big league hit is a home run. Like, that's the stuff that movies are made of. And he talked about how he knew that it was gone as soon as he hit it. I did. I knew, I knew it was gone. And uh, just when I was around the bases, you know, I just took it all in. I wasn't really thinking anything, but I looked up, and, you know, I see all the fans and stuff. I really took it in, and it was a special moment. Shout out to locker room boom boxes still existing one two trying to get audio <laughs> trying to interview players in locker rooms is always look I've been there I've been in college ones I've been in NBA locker rooms NFL locker rooms trying to get quotes trying to get <laughs> guys to get good stuff because everyone's got their own thing going on in their locker room it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge. I'm just going to say bit of a challenge. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Shout out to the producer extraordinaire, Hannah five names says JJ's dad was on an 18 hour shift and made sure to stay up to watch after he got off just in time for the game to start. What an awesome father's day gift for that. Right, that's a great thing. He's going to give the home run ball to his dad. Great moment and great for the Astros as they take two of three from the White Sox and keep things going. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Brent, who's been patiently waiting. Brent, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? How you doing, man? Um, the guy you was just talking about that hit that home run. You heard his uh, his deal that he made with the Astros so they could get the baseball from him. Oh, bud. Yeah, the, 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 you mean the guy that caught the home run ball? Yeah, they gave him. He asked for all kind of stuff, and one of them was a Verlander jersey. A signed Verlander jersey. Because Verlander heard about it and signed it. He got it, he got it the same day and the same night. I, it's, it's unbelievable to me, Brent. You know, back in the day, it was just getting like a handshaking and getting to meet the player that hit the home run, and then you give them the ball. Now these guys are getting an entire man cave worth of memorabilia and merchandise to give up a ball. It's crazy to me. And then I want to tell you about your team this week. I'm going to pull for your team this week because I think it's the middle of the week or the end of the week you play the Braves. I mean, you play the, the Dodgers, and I don't like the Dodgers, so I hope you can win those games next weekend. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Brent. I appreciate that, bud. And not to worry, I don't like the Dodgers either. <laughs> okay. And, and one more thing, how you how you think the Astros will do this week with uh, those six games with the Yankees and the Mets? It, it, it's it's going to be a great test. It's going to be an amazing test because the Mets are really good, surprisingly so, really good, and so are the Yankees. And you're good. Bregman is struggling, Yuli is struggling, Urquidy is struggling. You don't know about your Alvarez. So it, it's going to be a big test because I've said this for the longest time. The Yankees are the best team in baseball right now. Now, I know it's only June 20th, but the Yankees have proven that they're the best team, and that rotation, which you had question marks about before the start of the season, has really flourished. 
can the Astros go toe-to-toe with the Yankees? If they can take that series against the Yankees, then you could start having the argument that the Astros are the best team in baseball. Do we have anything that can help us draw? Appreciate the phone call, Brent. Thank you so much, bud. Enjoy your day. Yeah, it's going to be huge. And look, I don't like the Dodgers. I've I've said that before. I'm a Braves fan, so I root against anyone in the National League East. So there will never be an opportunity. Someone asked me one time, hey, the Phillies are in the World Series. Are you going to root for them? I'm like, no. They're my division. Of course I'm not rooting for them. What's wrong with you? Well, they're they're in the National League. I don't care. I I I don't have league pride. I don't have conference pride. I have pride in my team. I don't care about anything else. But the Dodgers used to be in the same division with Atlanta because, once again, as I said earlier, geography is hard even with people that run professional leagues because the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves, I know what you're thinking, RP3. L.A. is literally on the West Coast in California, correct? And Atlanta is in Georgia, which is on the East Coast, right? You're correct. They were in the same division. And for many years, I did not care for the Dodgers. So make no bones about it. I have no love loss against the Dodgers, even though I think their white uniforms are majestic looking. They're majestic. Woo! Good stuff there. Good phone call. Good stuff. Astros, once again, off tonight. They'll be playing night baseball tomorrow night at Minute Maid Park when they welcome in the New York Mets. And then they'll turn around and play a day game the next day. That'll be the day of our birthday bash over at B-Dubs, by the way. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day. We'll finalize our number two, wrap up our number two, put a bow on it, if you will. You know what? If you want to get those phone calls in, you can still do so. Hotline is open. Love to hear from you. Lots of activity this morning. Love it. I think people don't want to talk to me as much as they like to talk to Hannah Five Names. She is the producer extraordinaire. She's not talking to me right now. I don't know why. Not for sure. I mean, I gave her her start in this business, but yet here she is not talking to me. Don't know what's going on. I mean, I'm giving her time off to go dress shopping. I, I don't I don't get that. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on, guys. I don't know what's happening. Game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers, the Houston Astros, and so much more. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in Southwest Louisiana. Oh, before we wrap up our number two here on RP3 and Company, hey, just want to make sure everyone out there is safe this weekend, okay, or this week, this summer. You guys just need to make sure you're doing everything that you can to be safe out there and to make sure to stay hydrated, okay? Drink plenty of water. I know that sounds crazy, and every, but it, trust me on this. It doesn't matter if you're working out in your garden, at your home. It doesn't matter if you're taking the kids to the park. Heck, it doesn't even matter if you're at the beach or playing in the water or playing in your swimming pool. Make sure you're hydrated no matter what. This can be a dangerous time of the year. 
So make sure that you're being safe, you're, you're taking the precautions, you're staying immensely hydrated during this summer. I want you to enjoy your summer with your loved ones and just make sure you're staying hydrated out there. Poll question of the day. We asked you, and no, it's not about the latest Drake album, which I don't care about, by the way. Um, <laughs> apparently, that was a discussion. People are very unhappy with it over the weekend. The kids, if you will. Poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise of the weekend? Right now, 42% of you say the Colorado Avalanche scoring seven goals in one NHL final games. That's 42% of the vote going to the Avalanche scoring seven goals in one game. 35% of you say Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open, which he did at six under par. 19% say the Longhorns being eliminated early, going 0 for 2 at the College World Series. And 4% say other. John Paul Cajun Daddy says seven goals in hockey would be like 80 in a football game. Yeah, it's bananas. But once again, what does Kevin Foote say? You never want to score too much. Got to pay the piper. Will the Colorado Avalanche now pay the piper for scoring seven goals in one game? Remember, Tampa Bay, they're the two-time cup champions. And they were down two games to none to the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals, a.k.a. the fighting Jamie Greens. Brad on Twitter says, don't know much about hockey, but even I know 7-0 is a major whooping, all uppercase with the whooping. A Texas barbecue in Omaha did not surprise me. Correction on our information, Brad says, LSU did it in 1993, not 1998. South Carolina, uh, SC did it in 98, beating LSU twice to get to the final in the infamous 21-14 championship game. There we go. Thank you, Brad. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those votes coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we're going to talk U.S. Open PGA Tour with our buddy Kevin Price of PGATour.com. He'll join us live next. He was there for the U.S. Open. We'll talk all about it. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Our number three has arrived here on RP3 and Company. Man, we've had a great show so far. Tons of phone calls. And we've covered everything that happened over the weekend. We t- we've been talking NHL Stanley Cup Finals. Avalanche scoring seven runs in one game. Can the Lightning come back being two games down once again? We talked Houston Astros. They take two or three from the Chicago White Sox. Justin Verlander 
had the second shortest outing of his career on Saturday when they got shut out by the White Sox. But they come back, got a rookie to hit his first hit, it being a home run, did so on Father's Day. He's going to give the ball to his dad. So nice story, but more importantly, Strohs take two of three from the White Sox before having the night off tonight. And then they'll host the New York Mets tomorrow night and then host them again in the afternoon on Wednesday, a little day baseball. And a reminder, after the Astros wrap up their game against the Mets on Wednesday afternoon, you come join us over at Buffalo Wild Wings for our 10th anniversary birthday bash extravaganza. We got delicious wings. We got amazing door prizes. I'll be out there. Hannah Five Names is now RSVP. She's changed her schedule. She will be there in attendance. Everyone out there listening, particularly Martin, not to worry. She'll be in attendance. The intern extraordinaire, Daryl, will be there as well. So make sure to come out and join us. You don't have to RSVP, fellas. Just let us know. You just, we just want you to come out there and celebrate us being us being on the air for 10 years as Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. But we've been talking a lot of U.S. Open this morning. And I'll say this. Golf needed this. Golf needed this. All, everything going on with the schism in professional golf, with the live tour, and everything that's been said by golfers and by commentators, golf needed a great Sunday final round at the U.S. Open. They needed this great story of only being the second Englishman in the last 50 years to win the U.S. Open. And to do so on the same course where he won the U.S. Amateur, only the second man to do that, the other one being Jack Nicholas. Yeah, golf needed this it did you put all that other stuff aside and you just got to watch great final day at the u.s open in tough conditions and a young man tasting victory winning his first major ah, man that's why we watch we don't watch because of all the other nonsense to break it down for us exactly what happened there at brookline a great venue one they should probably visit more often for the u.s open or even for a pga championship is a man who's the associate editor of PGATour.com. We've known him for years because he comes down for the Chittimacha, Louisiana Open year after year. So our good friend Kevin Price joins us now. Kevin, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? RP3, how are you? Thanks for having me on. What, what a great week in Brooklyn. Well, I'm, I'm still pulsating from that finish yesterday. That was, that was incredible. What, what a treat to be here. What a treat. I know you got to experience it firsthand being there. So let's let, let's talk about the venue because it's the fourth time that they've had the U.S. Open there, but it's been a long time since the last time. And Boston and New England really came out in a big way. The volunteers, the environment, just watching it on television, it looked electric. What was it like there having the Open there outside of Boston? I, lo I love that it came across that way because it truly was, like you said, the last big men's event here was the 1999 Ryder Cup at Brookline, and, and the PGA Tour had been coming here kind of alternating in FedEx Cup playoffs events, but it's definitely not a town that has a tour event every year. So combining that with this major and this field, and it kind of built throughout the week the electricity. Early in the week, there were some great local storylines. This guy, Fran Quinn, at age 57, became the oldest player to qualify through the 36-hole sectional qualifier for the U.S. Open. So he had huge crowds off the bat. That was a lot of fun. And then as the kind of competition progressed and over to the weekend and Saturday and Sunday and the late tee times on Saturday, which was 
that some players definitely thrown for a loop with the 345 last group. Joel Damon was joking that he normally had to be home by 5 o'clock for dinner, but that was just twilight golf on Saturday, and it kept kind of building to a fervor. And then I was out yesterday with the final groups and just constant cheering, and crowds are, you know, 8 to 10 deep at certain places around the course on the back nine, just truly a combination of a major sporting event, festival vibe, fans knowing kind of what this meant and that these great players, kind of this new crop of the game's elite with Fitz and Zalatoris and Scheffler kind of battling it out down the stretch with, you know, the established regime and Rahm and Rory being there as well and Morikawa, who is the 36-hole leader and stated but rallied on Sunday. But, yeah, just a great kind of all-around tournament between the atmosphere and the course and the history and the field and how it played out. It was awesome. Let's talk about the course. Uh, I found, look, I'm a big fan of the USGA on purpose, making the U.S. Open venues the most challenging courses they can possibly be. They they try to make them the third circle of hell for the golfers. And, and, (laughs) and, and, And I'm a fan of that because, you know, this isn't the PGA Championship, and that's not a knock to PGA Championship. They on purpose try to make these as difficult as possible. They like having their winner being closer to even par than they do 16 under or 13 under. Now, they've had a couple of those in recent years, Kevin, right? Brooks Kepka destroyed Aaron Hills in 2017, and then Gary Woodland shot 13 under at Pebble Beach in 2019. But it's the third year in a row that the winner has been six under par at the U.S. Open. This is kind of what they like. It's kind of the sweet spot for them. How did you think the course played, and how challenging was it? So I got, I definitely will say the players loved the test, which is cool. I know Will Zalatoris was saying he played here at the U.S. Am in 2013 at Brookline and has told people that for years that it's the hardest course he's played. And he says that with reverence in the sense that you have to hit all the shots. Like, it's hard in the right way. It's not hard in terms of being tricked up or being, you know, hitting great shots that get completely crucified. But it's just you have to hit different types of shots. You have to hit draws and fades and straight shots and, if you don't pull it off, you'll be penalized. And then the the cool thing for me about Brookline is even if you're off the fairway, they, you know, positioned it and set the course up where you could still get to the green on your second shot. It's, it's not like there was all this heck out rough unless you were behind a tree and had to go sideways. But if you missed the fairway, it would be even harder to get it closer to the whole location, just the nature of the greens and how fast they were rolling and the rough around the green and the kind of slope. So you had to be exact, and it's harder to be exact from the rough. So it was a great challenge in the sense that the better you executed your shot, the more reasonable your next shot was, but without making any kind of game over XL penalties. So that combination kind of kept the field at, Bay around par in the sense that Friday, MJ Duffy got to 600 and couldn't get past. Saturday, um, Scheffler got to 600 and couldn't get past. And Sunday, people got to 600 once again, and that's where it's held. 600 was like kind of the ceiling of the week, and people could get there, and it wasn't like impossible to get there. It was just hard to keep it rolling for too long because of the mental test, and you had to continue hitting good shot after good shot, but there were still plenty of birdies available and that combination the players to a man enjoyed the test between 
players and caddies and staff, everyone's saying they want the U.S. Open to get back there sooner rather than later. There's, you know, a movement already for it to get in the rota in that normal 10 to 10-12-year 10, 10 to rota. So the course was a big, a big win. I, I can't think the week could have gone any better in, in terms of where Brookline's stature stands among the game's elite. The fairway bunker shot that Fitzpatrick hits, I, when I saw him hit his fairway, he was 17 of 18, greens in regulation uh, on the final day, and then he just the errant tee shot, and you just I, I just took a gasp, and I was like, oh, no. Because not only does he hit it in the bunker, Kevin, he hits it in a bunker that has rough inside of the bunker, right? So it, he has yep. to hit a perfect shot, and he did. It's the type of shot that's going to go down in U.S. Open lore he won the tournament right there with that recovery out of the fairway bunker. Just t- tell us, just being there, just how amazing was it to see in person? And you can't, like, really see. I mean, you can kind of tell on TV, but until you're there, you can't appreciate just the blindness of that shot, the elevation of that shot, kind of just. And then the bunker, you could see how close he was to the lip in the sense that he had to hoist it up super quickly. Control the distance well. If he catches it fat, who knows what's happening. There's trouble in front with bunkers. If you blade it and you're long, then you have a super fast downhill chip. You know, that green was that green was slick. And just to do that, I, I think for me, thinking about how he had to hoist it up so quickly and being blind, and you truly just have to make perfect contact. That's the thing. And in that state, to execute that shot, you can't do anything but perfect contact execute that shot. And Dela Torres is in the fairway, one back. There were two shot swings all day. You think of Dela Torres birdie, fits bogey, just like that. Dela Torres wins all this, all these scenarios. I mean, right up to the 72nd hole, there were three players with a chance to win, which is in three top 20 players in the world, which is just top 15 now, which is just so cool. And, and that shot, I mean, it's going to go down and more. You think about the Tiger putt. Ed Torrey, you think about different other majors and the PGA, Sean McKeel at Oak Hill kind of blind shot on 18 to 3 feet. And this just goes down in major championship lore, I think, of iconic shots just because he had to hit it so perfect and he did what he needed to do. And even then, Zalatoris still had a chance to force oh, playoffs just you know, to punctuate a great, a great competition. We're talking with Kevin Price, PGA Tour Associate Editor. He joins us here on RP3 and Company, recapping the United States Open. Let's talk about the young man that finished his runner-up. He's not the biggest guy, but yet, man, he has a compact swing that gets a lot of power. He was able to navigate the course extremely well. Second runner-up finish in a major for him. Uh, man, the future does sure, sure does look bright for him. He looks like a guy that's not scared of the big moment either. And even just, you know, two years ago, Will Zalatoris is playing on the Corn Ferry Tour. That's right. And with, it's literally two years ago. And now he's he runner-up at the Masters in 2021 as a non-member, rookie of the year as a non-member. And then he's right back at it again this year with the PGA Championship where he is in a playoff with Justin Thomas. But this one for Zalatoris, it's his sixth top 10 in a major in nine starts. I mean, he's such a perennial top ball striker. Even when he was on the Corn Ferry Tour and he was struggling with his putting in 2019, he was still top three in, in total driving and greens regulation. He's just always had that since he was 
a junior player and he's kind of gone through those ebbs and flows with his putting. But when his putter is on and he's feeling confident, he's going to be at the top of the board. His iron play and his approach play and contact and the way he thinks around the course and his mental game are just truly elite. And his putter cooperated this week, made a lot of clutch putts. You know, his, his stroke can look a little dicey to the untrained eye at times and or to any eye and he and he'd admit that too. He even um kind of fired back in his post round presser about the Instagram moron he said who he knows will be critiquing his putting, but that's just to say he's such a competitor and he relishes the stage and this moment and that's part of why he keeps putting himself in these positions. I mean to have six top tens in your first time nine majors, including three runners-up, and he still hasn't won on the PGA Tour. He's, you know, by most metrics and measures, the best player without a PGA Tour win. He's top 15 in the world and in the FedEx Cup standings, and he's just so good at all aspects of the game, particularly when his putting's on. He's so mentally tough. He has great reverence for the game's history. He was wearing, you know, silhouettes of Francis Humet and his caddy, Eddie Lowry, from the 1913 U.S. Open at Brookline on his shirt yesterday, and he, he loves the stage. He, he relishes the stage in that, like, this is what he's wanted to do since he was a kid, and he brings out his best at these big moments, and he'll, he'll be back. He'll be back. I want to ask you about Scotty Scheffler. Obviously, we have the local connection here because his caddy's from Opelousas right down the road. And yeah, he, Ted Scott was at um, – he's been to the tournament at Chittimacha. That's right. I remember seeing him there a couple of years ago. He's He's been there. Uh, I, I know some people – have have discussed well Scotty Scheffler really the you know the number one world ranked player is he really one of the best players on the planet I think he proved everyone that he deserves that title he's earned that title by the way he played as well this weekend right oh I mean and from junior days winning the biggest junior events college days Corn Ferry Tour winning number one winning player of the year in 2019 winning the money list and winning you know twice and then he comes out on the PGA Tour and he doesn't win his first couple of seasons, but easily keeps his card kind of just, you know, learning the tour, learning the courses. And then now that he's been around these courses a couple times on tour, you see him contending week in and week out. I mean, he was going, even at a course like Brookline that he doesn't know too well, he did finish in the quarterfinals at the USM there in 2013, but he's just a golfer in the sense that, he loves kind of the craft of the game and hitting different types of shots and using his imagination and kind of seeing each shot and what it presents and kind of deciding how he wants to play it based on his instincts. He loves practicing. He's, he's wanted to be a tour pro since he was a kid. Anecdotes of him wearing long pants to practice in the Texas heat in the summer because he wanted to act like a tour pro. And he's done nothing but succeed. I mean, he's won four times this year on tour. He's world number one. He's number one in the FedEx Cup. Here he is again at Brookline. I mean, he's he last year in the Ryder Cup, he beat John Rahm in Sunday singles authoritatively, easily. He, he's just done at, at stroke play and edge play, team level, major setups, easier setups. He he can compete with anyone, and this week was no different. It's it's no longer in my mind any surprise to see him at the top of the leaderboard. He's he's taken that spot where he's an accepted name like a Rom or a McElroy or a Morikawa or a Kepka at a major. You just ex- you expect to see Sheffler there now. No. 
Wrapping up our conversation with Kevin Price, PGA Tour Associate Editor. All right, bud, I'll, I'll get you out of here with this, and and this is how I feel about it. I think this was the best-case scenario for not only the PGA Tour, but for golf, the golfing world and golf fans, is have a guy, a young guy, win it. If, if we would have seen Warrior Justin, who had been very vocal about the schism, or if we would have seen some of the, the defectors to LIV, like Dustin Johnson or Bryson DeChambeau or Patrick Reed or Phil Mickelson and one of those guys win, we'd be talking about that still, right? It would still be mm-hmm. dominating the cycle. Instead, we're just focused on the young man who's still young enough to be wearing braces there with his <laughs> mom and dad and his brother giving him a big bear hug about doing something only Jack Nicholas has done. This is the best thing that could happen for golf after a rough couple of weeks, right? And Matt Fitzpatrick, like you mentioned, the wearing the braces a couple of years ago. He two years ago he recognized that he was not at the level of distance that he needs to quite play at the highest level every week and contend. And he worked and gained twenty to twenty five yards, got stronger, which is just so impressive to do at that phase of a career. He's had a lot of solid finishes in majors. He was fifth at the PGA. He was right there going into the final day and Chips cross-handed, which is a unique, endearing quality too. But it's just there's a humble kid from England played, you know, came over to play at Northwestern for a little bit before turning pro. But it's just he's the perfect epitome of how deep golf is. There's all these names, yep. all these players that the casual fan might not know, but they've been honing their game on different levels for their whole career, building toward this stage and having a chance to compete at the highest level and just the pure competition of golf at this level, at these settings, on these courses. There's golf so deep. There's so many players. There's guys coming up on the Corn Ferry Tour this year. They'll be ready. You look at Zalatoris, Corn Ferry Tour 2020, Zalatoris, three years ago. You know, these fans wouldn't have heard these names, and now they're kind of competing, playing great golf on this biggest stage. And I, I think the appeal of golf to me throughout my life has always been just the uncertainty of what can happen, and there's so many different subplots and ways, and you can just feel how much the players care and how much it means to them and the history of it. And seeing it kind of on that stage yesterday was so cool. And I, I agree, it was a great um, a, a great day to be a golf fan. It was, it was an honor to be there and be a part of golf yesterday. Appreciate you making the time for us as always. But, hey, maybe we'll catch up again leading into the Open Championship. You help us give us maybe a preview of the the fourth and final major of the season. But how about that? Absolutely. RP3, always happy to come on. Hit me up anytime. That's Kevin Price, our good friend, PGA Tour associate editor. Made his bones covering the Corn Ferry Tour. Now he's up on the big tour covering the U.S. Open. Appreciate Kevin's time as always. We got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day. You want to get your phone calls in, you can feel free to do so. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants 
with pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member, which by the way, it's free to do so, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes, free stuff galore, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or even a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou. That's right. They're all there in the clubhouse ready to be yours. But you got to become a member. Sign up today. It's free to do so. Simply go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Click on the clubhouse rewards tab. We even have a how-to video up for you to watch to figure out how to do it. It's just that simple. But you can only score that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's, that $50 gift certificate to Half Show Oyster House, or the $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. He's been patiently waiting. Martin, good morning to you, brother. Hope you had a tremendous weekend. What's on your mind, my friend? Good morning, Mr. Bald and beautiful one. And I couldn't agree more with your little take that y'all had just now before the commercial break. Uh, hopefully you are fully clothed this morning <laughs> for Hannah, for names' sake. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention I was watching the Astros game last night and uh, the announcer brought up how uh, that rookie, J.J., or I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name, but he also played for Jay Johnson uh, in college uh, while he was at Arizona. Zona. I thought that right. was pretty neat. But uh, I just wanted to share that with y'all. And uh, But, uh, but yeah, uh, hopefully I can make y'all – Y'all birthday bash Wednesday, and I look forward to meeting y'all, man. Y'all can't, have a good one. Can't wait to meet you on Wednesday as well, Martin. Not only myself, but I can speak for producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, James Mesh, Matt Miguez, the whole gang. We can't wait to see you, bud. Can't wait to see all of our listeners and all of our callers, whether that's Halftime, Doug, Martin, Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and Company, Reynolds, Jamie, you're all invited to come out to the birthday bash. We're turning 10 on this Wednesday. So come out and hang out with us. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great time. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It was, what was the biggest surprise of the weekend? Right now, 46% of you say the Colorado Avalanche scoring seven goals in a Stanley Cup Finals game. 32% of you say Matthew Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open, becoming only the second Englishman to do so in the last 50 years, joining Justin Rose on that list. 18% of you say the Texas Longhorns going 0 for 2 at the College World Series, first team eliminated. And 4% of you say other. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on Twitter and Facebook as well. But right now, we got to take a timeout. I know you're sad. But don't be too sad. Don't shed too many tears. 
Well, I mean, we got a birthday party coming up on Wednesday. She shouldn't be in tears anyway. You can come out and meet Hannah Five Names. Hello. That's a party in itself. But when we return, it'll be time for a little Big Easy Blitz with Rod Walker, the columnist reporter for the New Orleans Advocate and the Times-Picayune will be joining us, wrapping up Saints minicamp, his thoughts on what he's seen, what are still the big question marks for the black and gold. That's all coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Mini camp is in the books for the black and gold. They're going to have some time off now, a few weeks off, so to speak, a little bit longer than a few weeks before they report for training camp and then start really getting prepared for the season. But to put a bow on what he saw through voluntary workouts and mini camp and what are some questions still to be answered heading into training camp is the award-winning columnist reporter for the New Orleans Advocate and the Times-Picayune. Rod Walker joins us here on RP3 and Company. Rod, good morning to you, brother. How was your weekend, my friend? I was pretty good, man. Thanks, and good morning to you. Appreciate you making the time. All right, let's just start off fairly easy. What's the biggest thing that's kind of stood out to you through the voluntary workouts and through uh, minicamp? What's kind of stood out to you? Who stood out to you, rather? Uh, I guess I would say um, probably Jarvis Landry. I would just say he's, he's sort of come in and just made so many – and again, you know, in mini camp, you're not, they're not, they're not in pads, so you're not really seeing a whole lot. So you're not going to see much from the, you know, in the, the offensive or defensive line. But you know, you look at those skill positions that, you know, you look at your receivers and your cornerbacks and the quarterbacks. Obviously, you see a lot with them. But I think Jarvis has just been probably the most consistent player every day. He's out there and he's making some catches, and you can just tell that the quarterbacks. Whoever's out there, they think they're like always just sort of looking towards him. It seems like he's just kind of taking on that leadership role, and he's just kind of like the go-to guy already on this offense. You know, I was you, you kind of led me to my next question, Rod, and that is that that's the leadership because they bring in two big name free agents this this off season, and Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry, both are known for being leaders, being leaders in both the locker room and on the field. How important was that for Dennis Allen to get two guys like that in free agency come in and go ahead and start that leadership right off the bat? I think it was good. You know, that's something that Sean Payton sort of um, instilled in this in the, in the program, I guess, in his years there. I mean, he just uh, you know you talk to all these players that come in, they always talk about the culture in the locker room, and I think that's had a lot to do with their success in the past. You know, this little five year run they've been on, they've brought in just some really good guys. So, I mean, you, you never really had to worry about a lot of uh, lack of chemistry in the locker room because of the type of people they brought in. And this is a team that, and they had a bunch of leaders on it already. I mean, you look at DeMario and Cam Jordan and just some of those guys. I mean, they had a bunch of leaders on this team, but you can never have too many of them. I asked Tyron about that the other day. I was like, man, can you, you know, can you have too many of these kind of people? And he's like, no, this is perfect for this franchise. So, I mean, they got a bunch of them in the locker room. and um, So that helps with the transition, I think, going from one coach to another. You add Jarvis Landry, you draft Chris Olave, who's also been impressive during, you know, these voluntary yeah. workouts and in minicamp. 
So if if Michael Thomas is healthy, and I know we're assuming he's going to be, but we assumed he was going to be last year as well, Rod, right? And he wasn't. Right. right. If, if you have him healthy, that gives you Thomas and Olave on the outside, Jarvis in the slot. Those are three absolute studs lining up at wide receiver. And that takes your four, five, and six wideouts from last year. Or your four, five, and six guys are essentially the guys that were one, two, and three last year. Who do you think is going to have the leg up there to become the number four and the number five wide receiver in that group of Callaway, Hardy, and Smith? Uh, I think I think you put Hardy in there for sure, just because of what he, you know, what he brings in in the return game as well. So I think he's going, you know, he's a guy that that's going to play. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Callaway probably I give him a slight edge. I just think he had a probably a little bit more upside and. You know, Trey Quan's obviously dealt with some injuries throughout his career, but I mean, all six of those guys. I mean, like you said, if you got the one, two, and three guy from last year now becoming your four, five, and six receiver, I mean, that just tells you how much depth they have this receiver. And I know something that Dennis Allen talked about. He said that's something they want to do this, you know, this offseason. They want to add depth, um, just to you know, not just because the team needed, but just also to you know have that competition in camp to you know, make this team better. And they definitely done that to receiver spot. I mean, it's uh, uh, that's not a team in the league. I don't think they can go that deep at receivers. So, uh, they've done a really good job. But yeah, I'd say Hardy first, and then I'd go Callaway second. And I think Trey Corn is going. You know, he's got to um, be a little more consistent and try not to be, you know, try to stay healthy this time. And you, know, you just can't afford to, with this kind of depth, you can't afford to, you know, not be available. Rod, l- let's talk about running back. We have no idea what the legal situation is going to be like for Alvin Kamara. The hearing's in August, but that could be pushed, right? That could be delayed. Uh, A a trial may happen or may not happen. We have no idea. And the NFL is going to wait, like they typically do, until after the legal process is ended before, uh, you know, giving punishment. And we know they'll punish the Saints greatly. That said, you know, a lot of people say, hey, they need to bring in a veteran running back. They need to bring in a veteran running back. And they flirted with a couple guys and have brought in guys for interviews and tryouts, yet they haven't signed one. Is that more to do because they can't come to terms with these guys, or is it more to do with the fact that they're very high on the undrafted rookie that they gave a quarter of a million guaranteed contract to out of Baylor? Yeah, I think, you know, Evan Smith's a guy that I think can probably do well. He's a guy that didn't get drafted and people were surprised by it. Um, So I think – if they do bring in a veteran, I think he's going to have to be a guy that's going to have to come in and kind of uh, blow this team away, I guess, as far as, um, I mean, if you're going to pay some big money for him, mean, he's going to have to be heads and shoulders above Smith. And um, If they don't get that, I think they'll just, you know, try to stick with what they have. But I do think they'll continue to, you know, try to bring some guys, some veteran guys in here and, um, you know, and just and try to, because they're going to, I mean, I think, we we know that Kamara's probably going to miss some games at some point, and and they they need to be prepared for that. So I think they're going to continue to do whatever they have to do. And um, you know, so I don't think that running back carousel is over with yet. I think they're going to continue to bring some guys in here. We're talking with Rod Walker, award-winning columnist, reporter for the Advocate and the Times Picayune. He covers the New Orleans Saints. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. Rod, let's switch over to quarterback. I I thought Jameis Winston was turning a corner. I thought the offense was turning a corner last year before he got injured. And then the wheels came off on the offense after Winston got hurt, and it it, it was a mess with the other three quarterbacks. 
The New Orleans Saints are obviously high on Jameis Winston. They believe in him. The locker room likes him, believes in him. National media does not. <laughs> as, and that's pretty abundantly clear. You know, the team believes in him, though. Do you expect to see Jameis Winston have a breakout season for the New Orleans Saints running Pete Carmichael's offense? Um, I, I think he will. I just, again, I mean, I think the biggest question mark is going to be that knee. I mean, he's, you know, I think people look at that him limping during uh, mini camp with two different ways. I mean, on one side of it, he's, you know, well, he just had surgery six months ago, so he should be limping. But on the other side, you're like, hey, the season's only three months away, which is <laughs> not as far as it probably sounds. So, um, for the limp, the limp to be as noticeable as it was, I mean, I think, you know, I think that should probably be a little concern. I mean, you want to. You want him to be healthy. and um, But if he is, I think this team can be really, really good. And uh, the big key for James, I think, is, again, going to be healthy. It's going to be that left tackle position, which I guess we may talk about that here too. But um, I think he has a chance to be a really good – to have a really good season, I mean, because they put the weapons around him. You know, they've put – they've brought in some really – he basically has three new receivers when you include Michael Thomas in the mix since he didn't play last year. So he has a chance to be really, really – uh, to have a really special season, and I, I think he will. I just think um, I just think they put too many pieces around. I know, and I, I know earlier you mentioned that you know the Saints believe in him, and you know sometimes I think you have to counter question that because this is a team that was really trying to get Deshaun Watson. So um, I think there must have been some, and obviously Deshaun makes you better. I mean, he's an elite quarterback, but um, I think there is something that. But to be said of that, though, I mean, they were they had a quarterback in the building, and they kind of went out and looked for another one. But I do think that you know, talking to everybody, I mean, they said they really think that James can get it done, and and I think he can get it done. Cause I thought he was on pace to really have a special season last year. So if he can pick up where he left off, and which is something he should be able to do, because again, he's he had the pieces around him now. Did the Saints dodge a bullet with Deshaun Watson? Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, I think they <laughs> should be. Uh, yeah, they 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 did. I mean, I mean, if you've been keeping up with, it, I mean, that, that situation's actually gotten worse, and um, um, now they're not they're not having to deal with that. So, I mean, that would be that would be hanging over the Saints' head this entire you know going into uh, training camp because I mean we don't know what Deshaun's suspension is going to be, but we do know that uh, it's expected to be pretty stiff, and um, you know this it would be awful to be going into this season with uh, you know a guy serving an eight-game suspension or whatever it is. I mean, cause that, that kind of derails your whole season when you're dealing with something like that. So, yeah, they definitely dodged a bullet. And, uh, yeah, they should be glad that, <laughs> that, that that didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out. And in the long term, yeah, it probably been, you know, may have been good. But just some of the things that they had to give up to get them, it, just, it wasn't worth it. And, uh, yeah, they, they actually won out by not getting Deshaun Watson. You know, they drafted smart like they typically do. You know, they draft their wide receiver, they move up to get him, and then they draft an offensive lineman. And the big fella may be not necessarily a project, but he may need some grooming. How confident do you believe the Saints are in Hurst being able to man the left tackle position until the young man out of Northern Iowa is ready this season? I think, you know, at this point, they don't really have a choice if he's not ready. But I think, I mean, it's still early again. And, you know, rookie camp and mini camp, you don't really get to see a whole lot of the offensive line, but I do think they're going to get him up to speed. Um, you know, coming from a smaller school, I mean, I think there are probably some concerns, you know, unlike, you know, Ramchek was at Wisconsin, so, you know, he had played 
you know, in the big, big 10, but, um, so yeah, this will be, um, something to be interesting. It's going to be, you know, when you think about the training camp battles, I think that's the one that we'll probably be paying the most attention to. You're filling in for, um, you know, you're trying to place a guy like Teron Armstead, who's one of the best in the league. So they're definitely going to have to, whoever it is in that position, they'll have to be really solid because obviously we know how important that position is to protecting Jameis Weston. So they're going to have to get it right there. Well, we, we, we focus so much on the left tackle, and I understand why, but, you know, the interior needs some repair as well. Yeah. Andres Pete coming off the injury, and he's never been the best uh, pass blocker as it is. But he's he's more of a, he's more of a experienced run blocker. McCoy had an up and down year last year was injured, but Ruiz, I mean, that's the one that seems like he needs the the, the most fixing. Is that going to be a camp battle? Is there anyone on the roster that can push Caesar and be coached up by Doug Marone to, to try to get better during training camp? Man, I don't know. That's a, that's a that's a good question. I mean, Caesar's been taking the first team reps, you know, so far, and I don't. You know, just kind of talking to him. I did talk to him one day, and just you know, just he, he thinks he's going to have a better season. He sort of knows the things he needs to work on. I do think Doug Marone can. Um, well, I say I believe him, man. I hope he can for the team's sake, because if not, I mean, I don't know if we talk about the offensive line enough, but I mean, it's going to be a very big uh, part of this team's success this year. I mean, if they don't get it fixed, um, it, it could be you know all these. Pieces they put around Jameis, you know, it's no good if you can't block for Jameis and if you can't block for the, you know, Alan Kamara and Mark Ingram and those guys. So they're definitely going to have to get all those guys up to speed and on the same page because, you know, the past few years, offensive line, you know, I mean, not last year, but I mean, in the years prior, I mean, the offensive line was the strength of this team and they would lose guys during the season and just plug somebody else in and, you know, they never missed a beat. So they're going to have to, if they can get back to that. To those ways on a Doug Marone, I mean, yeah, that's that's going to be big for this team. Rod, I'll have to ask you one more before I let you go, bud, and it's about the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame because Jari Heavens is going in later this week in Natchitoches. Uh, I argue he's probably the best interior offensive lineman in Saints history. Just how special was he for those who maybe didn't get to see him play in his prime? Yeah, you know, because um, I was actually not here, I guess, in his – you know, in his heyday, but uh, yeah, he's a guy that you know came from a small school and just worked his way. It was just one of those, you know, Saints have this way of finding these gems, and uh, he was just another example of that. And uh, yeah, definitely an honor that he's um, deserving of. He's one of those guys that you know, I think when it comes to you know pro football, he's a guy to at least get in that conversation eventually. So, um, yeah, he's a, he's a really good offensive lineman and one of the best to ever do it for this team, no doubt. His second straight Hall of Fame team, he went into the Saints Hall of Fame last year, and now he's going to the Louisiana Hall of Fame. So you know, I think he's getting all the accolades that he deserves. Rod, appreciate your time, as always. Keep up the tremendous work. Uh, Bud, do you know when you're going to have to report for training camp as as the reporter? Do you know that yet? No, I know it's, um, I think it's the last of July, but I'm not sure the exact date, but it's, you know, 26, 27, somewhere at the end of July. I can't remember what, what the, I haven't been told the exact date, but I know it's somewhere towards the end of July. Well, so you got, so. You, you got a good month or so, month and some change, bud, to recharge those batteries, get a vacation in, and uh, take some uh, much-needed time off. Appreciate your time, as always, Rod. Keep up the yeah. tremendous work, brother. Uh, no problem, man. Anytime. That's Rod Walker. 
covers the New Orleans Saints for the New Orleans Advocate and the Times-Picayune, joining us here for the Big Easy Blitz. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show. We'll get you set up for footnotes with guest host. No, wait. I'm out. Kevin Foote actually has returned. Mr. Big Time Alaskan Cruise gentleman. A gentleman of leisure is what we're going to refer to as footsie. A gentleman of leisure. That'll be all coming up next. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Oh, don't forget, it's the game's birthday, and this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us this Wednesday at Buffalo Wild Wings, also known as B-Dubs in some circles, on Ambassador Caffrey. There will be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, including station swag like T-shirts and koozies. Tickets to Houston Astros games, a 50-inch TV donated by AVI, car washes from the wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, a round of golf with a cart at Cane Row Golf Course, a $150 gift card to Mosley and Hollard Men's Clothing, and so much more. In addition to having all your favorite personalities out there, you can come meet us, come take selfies with yours truly, Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, intern extraordinaire Daryl. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. So come join us at B Dubs this Wednesday, starting at four o'clock till nine or maybe even later for the game's 10th birthday bash. I want to take a moment to thank our guest for helping us kick off this week in strong fashion. Kevin Price, PGA Tour Associate Editor. Joining us to recapping the U.S. Open, won by Matthew Fitzpatrick, six under par. Wins it on the same course he won the U.S. Amateur title. Only other person to do that, male golfer to do that, was Jack Nicklaus. And, of course, Rod Walker, who just joined us for the Big Easy Blitz. He covers the New Orleans Saints for the New Orleans Advocate and the Times-Picayune. We had a poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise of the weekend? 48% of you say the Colorado Avalanche scoring seven goals in game two of the Stanley Cup Finals. 31% of you say Matthew Fitzpatrick winning the United States Open. 17% say the Texas Longhorns, a betting line favorite, going 0 for 2 at the College World Series. They've been eliminated first team to be been sent home. And 4% of you say other. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments as well on Facebook and Twitter. And thanks to all the callers, came out strong to start the week. Proud of you. Proud of you. For the intern extraordinaire, Daryl. The producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote is back. That's right. Footnotes with its actual host is next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.